Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking facts about fat loss. All right, Nicole, today we're talking about fat loss. For those of us who have listened to our podcast, we do a lot of fat loss talk. Yes, we do. And I think it's important for some of our new listeners to really understand some of the fundamentals around fat loss. And, you know, it's interesting, Nicole, that anytime I put fat loss in the title of a podcast, we Mm -hmm. we get a lot of downloads. So why not do another episode on fat loss, which apparently that's seems to be all people care about these days. Well, that's a good, let's talk about that for a second. Why do you think fat loss is such a big, uh, a big deal in terms of nutrition and health and fitness? Like it's, it's actually bigger. It's a bigger topic to talk about fat loss than it is to talk about strength training and building muscle. Like, seriously, why do you think that's such a big focus? Is it because we have people that need to burn more fat or lose more fat? Well, I think it's kind of, and this is my opinion here. I think this is kind of twofold, right? I think, A, we're a culture obsessed with, and this is where I'll kind of, you know, I don't really want to say I agree with the quote diet culture, you know, whatever, but, or the hatred of diet culture, because I, I think there's two pieces to this, right? I think one we are a society that is obese more so than any other cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's an aspect there. Like people do genuinely need to lose fat, but I also do think that we have this obsession where Nicole, I mean, how many times have you had a client that is like, Oh man, I just got to get those last few pounds off. And you're like, well, why, for what, why does it matter? Almost you're every not, client. That's what fat. every client comes. From. You're not fat. You're fine. Like yeah. you well, look good. You're healthy. Your lab work is fine. you do you feel good? Like focus on mm-hmm. the health aspect of it. But people more so just want to they don't care about it. They choose fat loss over health in many cases. Yes. Yes. And I think they choose a smaller size, like being smaller as be- being healthy as opposed to. And this is where I think it gets a lot of the misconception and the challenge as a coach is getting people to lose fat by building muscle not lose fat by starving themselves Yeah, by getting smaller or getting smaller. Yep. So I think that's where every week, you know, we continue to keep talking about fat loss. And I really do think the conversation <laughs> kind of needs to be flipped into never mind the, the, the things you need to do to create fat loss. It's the things you need to do to build muscle, which in turn helps you lose fat and gives you the body that you want especially when it comes to clients that want to look a certain way from a physique standpoint. So it's kind of a backwards way of becoming healthy, but it seems to be the topic of literally every client conversation. So I guess we have to address it. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're somebody that has a significant amount of fat to lose, then yeah, sure. Like we need to focus on that and we need to help you get there. Um, But there's more to it than just fat loss, you know, in terms of a, uh, from a health and a wellness Mm -hmm. standpoint, we want to focus on how much muscle you have, how much lean mass, because we know that that's healthy and that's good for longevity. 
Mm-hmm. We want to focus on your protein intake. We want to focus on your, your hunger, your satiety cues, make sure that you're, you know, eating the right foods and making the right decisions for yourself and you feel good, your energy, your sleep, right? There's so much wrapped into health and wellness outside of just fat loss. And when you focus on all of those other things, the fat loss happens along with it, as opposed to people focusing on fat loss only and allowing those metrics to all kind of drop, like not sleeping well, but they're losing fat. So they think, well, it's working and it's great, but you're sacrificing your sleep in order to get there. So how long can you actually sustain that? Yeah. And then the other thing, Nicole, that I think I want to kind of bring into this conversation before we start talking about fat loss. And and I think this is what sparked me to say, okay, well, let's kind of rebuild another one of these fat loss episodes because Nicole, you and I have had some conversations lately around clients that are like, I can't seem to lose fat. It's, it must be my hormones. It must be my gut. It must be like all of these different things. And then you sit down, you have a conversation with that person and you review their food journal with them mm-hmm. or lack of food journal. Or you ask them, like, have you been tracking? And they're like, no. Do you have any idea how much of anything you're eating? Yeah. And you're like, no. Or, well, I did track for a while and, you know, I you know, I tend to eat more on the weekends and less during the week, but then I'm not really holding myself accountable during the week altogether. And the workouts too, it's like, okay, well, are you pushing yourself through those workouts? Are you consistent with your workouts? Mm-hmm. Or are you just like working out sometimes when it's convenient for you? Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Well, if it's not convenient to work out, then it's not convenient for you to hit your goals. Right. And I think that there's the path to fat loss is is very cut and dry. It's very simple. Yep. You just have to follow the steps and do it and you'll get there. And I think nine out of 10 times when somebody says it's my hormones, mm-hmm. it's probably not. And then every once in a while you run into that person that is the exception to the rule mm-hmm. that they do have something going on that needs to be addressed prior to them losing fat. Yeah. Well, I say this all the time to especially my female clients for when it comes to like hormones and gut, what whatever the secondary thought is behind not being able to lose weight. If you are doing everything that I've asked you to do, like this is the, the prerequisite, right? If you are tracking, if you're getting your workouts in, if you're doing everything that I've set for you to do as a coach and things are not changing, then we may need to dig deeper. But 99% of the time, they're not doing everything that I asked them to do. So we can't go and blame other things when you're not doing the things that you need to do, the basic fundamentals or the foundational skills behind fat loss or weight loss or muscle build or whatever it is. So we tend to blame it quickly on other things. And kind of the tough love approach is, listen, you can't track during the week and not track on the weekend and expect to see results if you have no idea what you're putting in your body. And this is a conversation I just had this week with a client. I kind of held her feet to the fire and I said, you have to track every single thing you put in your body for one whole week, seven days, no bullshitting anymore. Like let's get hardcore. And she did. And here's what happened. She was only over daily by about a hundred calories. When we sat down to talk about that, she was like, that's only a hundred calories a day. Like how, how can that be such a big deal? Okay. So if you do the math, that's 700 calories in a week that you're over what you're supposed to be eating. Then you multiply that times four weeks, right? That's like what, 2,800 calories now that you're over in a month. And now you're going over so much more than you think you were, even if it's only 100 calories a day. And on top of that, she's 
maybe getting her steps in each day, sometimes hitting her intensity in her workouts, sometimes feeling a little sluggish and tired because she didn't eat the foods that I've been prescribing her to eat. You know, like everything just gets a little off kilter. And so those little things that you think that extra hundred calories that all adds up and it can really pull you off. And she thinks it's her hormones and her gut and la 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 la. And it's not. So then we take a second week and I say, do not go over your calories, hit these metrics and voila, she loses a pound and a half in a week. And now it's about being consistent and making that happen for the next six months so that you hit your goal. So it, it really is about being honest with yourself. The other piece to that, Nicole, and I want to bring it back to the hormone piece is food affects your hormones, right? So if you think your hormones are off, mm -hmm. it could be potentially that you just have to fix your food. And at the end of the day, we're going to have a conversation about food and the nutrients that you're taking in anyway. Like what is driving your hormones to be off? And if we can fix that through nutrition, we're going to. And if right. we can't, then that's something that you're going to have to address with your physician, right? So- you know, I think often it's like the thought that we're going to have a different conversation with you around it when, okay, well, you know, we're going to have the same conversation. You're still going to have to eat whole foods. You're still going to have to get your cruciferous vegetables, even if it is your, if it is or isn't your hormones, right? Because, right. because even if your hormones are off or not, like it's healthy for you to get cruciferous vegetables because that's going to help with estrogen detoxification, right? Now, this isn't an episode on, you know, women and hormones, which maybe we'll revisit again at some point. But if, yeah. If you do want to listen to that, that uh, women and fat loss was one of our earlier episodes. So mm -hmm. check back on that. I think it was I don't know. It was one of our like first five episodes, maybe. Yeah. First seven. Who knows? In terms of fat loss, the equation is simple. Right. And the equation is basically SECO, which is calories in versus calories out. And I want to emphasize the fact that calories matter most when it comes to fat loss. And this is seen across all of the research where it doesn't matter what diet strategy you're doing. If you're in a calorie deficit, you are going to lose weight. So yeah. I, I really want to emphasize the importance of that. The fact that calories matter most. You can do intermittent fasting. You can do keto. You can do low carb. You can do high carb. You could do low protein, high protein. It doesn't matter. You're not going to see major differences in terms of the quantity of fat lost in either group. The most important piece is going to be that calories matter most. And if you're in a calorie deficit, you lose fat. And that's where SECO comes in because SECO stands for calories in versus calories out. So what is your intake versus your expenditure? And Nicole, it's interesting with SECO that people try to take a concept, misunderstand it, and then they'll write an article. I remember, uh, I think it was Box that wrote an article about SECO and it was like, well, is the SECO diet, does it actually work or not? And I'm like, I don't understand what you guys are talking it's not about. A diet. I, exactly. It's a concept that is just a simple math equation that if you expend more energy than you take in, you are going to lose weight. It's an energy balance concept, right? So mm -hmm. I think people kind of misunderstand this conceptually and then they try and say, oh, well, like, oh, that diet doesn't work. And I'm like, well, it's not a diet, right? It's just a concept saying that eat less, move more, which yeah, I kind of feel like I sound like Michelle Obama now. Um, because that was her <laughs> that was her big thing, like just move. That is all it is. It's a simple math equation. Now, when we get into, were you going to say something? I was just going to say it's the basic foundation. It's the starting point for every person to get health under control is calories in versus calories out. Like if we don't even have to talk about quality of food, you just have to eat less and move more, right? That's 
the basic. That's the starting point. Then from there, you know, I talk about levels of nutrition and levels of activity and goal strategies. And then from there, you build up off that pyramid. But this is the bottom of the foundation of the house. And when no one gets it right, then anything else that they want to do from there up is not going to be. Yeah, it's not going to matter. Right. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can you can, t- you you can, can do intermittent about- fasting, do all these fancy strategies. And but this if is, you can't get the basics. <laughs> and this is where, you know, I kind of talk about, we talked about this when we talked about intermittent fasting is that the biggest piece of intermittent fasting that works for fat loss is the calorie deficit. And I'll take it even a step further. The health benefits are seen from a ca- uh, calorie deficit as well. Right. So it, it's not, it's not the strategy of the food. This isn't a strategy in terms of, of a food plan. This is the way the body functions and what you need to do in order to get fat off. And, and keep it off is that it becomes the new lifestyle. I cannot stress that enough. We've been talking about this all week too, Daron, where we have clients that do really great. They change their habits, they create the change, and then they revert back to their old ways because maybe they have fatigue over this new lifestyle and they end up gaining weight back on or they, they can't keep going. They, they lose that fire. You can't do that. So the goal is to find something sustainable, obviously. Now- yeah. When we get into calorie deficits, like, okay, let's kind of go over this and say, well, how do we create a calorie deficit? So there are a number of ways that you can do calorie estimations. Uh, and we use typically either a Mifflin equation or catch McCardle formula that will tell you roughly, okay, at rest, how many calories are you burning? And then you use an activity factor. And then that activity factor will tell you, okay, well, on, on your typical day, how many calories do you burn? You spread that out through your week. Now you know what your maintenance calories are. And then you want to subtract anywhere from two to 500 calories off of your maintenance calories. So for those of you that you want to know how to do this, calculator.net. You know what's interesting is that I have always used that for the um, Mifflin equation. Mm-hmm. And then I find like you can literally find every calculator on there. I There's just a million recently, ways to calculate this. But no, no, I not not just that's not what I mean. Oh, you can literally find any calculator on there. I found a BMI calculator on there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I found a I found a grade calculator on there, which Nicole, you and I talked about, which I'm not going <laughs> to get into right now. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. You can literally find every equation on there. I don't know if they have the Cash McCardle formula. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they probably do. The difference between Mifflin and Catch McArdle is Catch McArdle, you're going to want to use body fat. You can use the formula without body fat, but it's going to be better with the body fat. However, I do find only about 100 calorie difference when you do a Mifflin equation or a Catch McArdle uh, formula. So you can use either or. And if you are a user of MyFitnessPal, which if you've listened to our show, MyFitnessPal is something that we often use. We use it with many of our clients when we have them log their intake. MyFitnessPal uses a Mifflin equation when you initially open up that app and enter in your information, your age, your height, your weight, your level of activity, your goal, then it will create that. It will use that Mifflin equation and then create that deficit based on what your goal is. That's why it's going to ask you, okay, well, do you want to lose half a pound a week, one pound, 1.5 or two pounds? And when you click something like two pounds, I think there's a prompt that tells you, hey, this is an aggressive goal. 
mm-hmm. the reason why it tells you that is because it's going to set your calories really low. And I think some of the concern around that is, well, is this going to be manageable, maintainable? Mm-hmm. And are you going to be hungry? Are you going to be satiated? Like, where are you going to fall in that? Can you can you do it? I always yeah, have can you stick to it. I always have when I set people up for my fitness pal and we do that, I will have them put in the 0.5, the one pounds, the 1.5 and the two pounds and get all the different and the calorie range for each one. So say two pounds is like 1,300, 1.5 pounds is like 1,500 and so on. So they have a range because here's the other thing you have to be careful of. These are equations. They don't always match with people, the actual human and what your body needs. So if you have a range of 0.5 pounds gives you, I don't know, 1,800 calories and two pounds a week gives you 1,400 calories or 1,300 calories, so there's a 500 calorie difference, that's where your range of calorie deficit can somewhere fall in. And for some people, it can be on the higher range so that it's sustainable on the lower range so that you lose weight faster. You know what I'm saying? So I can show clients the, the, the full picture. Now, there, I will say as kind of a caveat to that, there are some strategies that I've been using as of lately more so, and that's calorie cycling. And mm-hmm. what I'll do with that is I'll just create bigger deficits on the days that you're not working out and the days that you are working out, I'm going to create a smaller deficit so you have more energy for your workouts. And that also can help with certain foods. Like if there's a specific food that you want to eat and you want to be more flexible, then you can mm-hmm. say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to eat a donut on my workout day because that's going to be the extra 400 calories that Daron's telling me to eat on my workout day. And I just feel like enjoying that. And I'm not being too strict with myself on a, mm-hmm. a reoccurring basis. And that's just easier for me. I have more energy for my workouts. I feel good with that. But at the end of the week, what I'm doing with that, and this is where people kind of get lost where Nicole, which which, what you were talking about, like that client who was like, well, it's only a hundred calorie difference. I'm thinking about your week and I'm thinking about your deficit for the week and for Mm -hmm. the month and so on and so forth. So when I'm calorie cycling, I'm saying, okay, well, what is your theoretical deficit daily? Mm -hmm. And then how many calories are you allotted per week? And then I'm breaking up those calories into the days of the week. And that's how we're kind of sorting that out. So you do have to think about, you got to think about the micro and what you're doing day to day, but you also have to think about the macro. And I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely agree. Once you've understood that calories are the thing that matter most, you're going to want to create a calorie deficit. And the next thing you're going to want to do is you are going to want to understand that protein matters as well. So calories matter most and then protein matters second. The reason why protein matters second is there are a few reasons here. Number one, protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So it's going to be easier for you to stay on track. Number two, protein helps you to build lean mass, which helps to increase your resting metabolic rate, which helps you to burn more calories throughout each day. Number three is the really the piece that applies to you if you're already in a calorie deficit because you're not really going to build much muscle in a deficit unless you're very new to exercise and training. Number three is that protein helps to maintain lean muscle. It's not going to help to build lean muscle in a deficit unless you're new, but it is going to help you to maintain lean mass so that you keep your resting metabolic rate elevated. Keep in mind the factors that are affecting your energy expenditure 
right? Calories in versus calories out. The calories out part of that equation is your total daily energy expenditure being your energy out. So the biggest piece of that is your basal metabolic rate, which is how many calories you burn at baseline. And the only way that you can control your basal metabolic rate is by either increasing muscle or you know managing your hormones, which you don't really have much control over your hormones. You'd have some control, like if you train, increase testosterone levels, right? Mm-hmm. There is, that is, but the biggest piece to your basal metabolic rate is it goes up as you increase your lean muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece. And then the rest of your total daily energy expenditure is made up of your uh, thermic effect of food, which is also protein is tied in there because protein has the highest thermic effect. So if you eat more protein, you burn more calories, just breaking down and absorbing that protein in the system. And your NEAT, which we'll talk about shortly, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And then the last piece is, Nicole, what's the last piece to your? uh, Your EAT. Your your EAT, which is your exercise activity thermogenesis. Thank you. And that is your uh, daily exercise. And I do want to emphasize that. And I I want it, when we get to that, I want to talk about how hard you're working. Um, But those are really the reasons why protein matter. And then how much protein do you want to take in? What we typically say is if we're not in front of you, we'll say, okay, well, a good rule of thumb is a gram per pound of body weight. If you're a little bit on the heavier side, you have less muscle, more body fat, you might want to go a little bit lower than that. But if we want more specificity and just go based on the research, the research basically is broken down anywhere from 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram of body weight. So if you don't know what your uh, body weight in kilograms is, you take your body weight, you divide it by 2.2. And then you take the, let's say you're doing on the lower end, 1.2 grams per kilogram. So you take your weight, you divide it by 2.2, and then you multiply that number by 1.2. And that's going to give you how much protein you want to take in for the day. And then you want to break that down throughout the day. Speaking of breaking that down throughout the day, the next thing that matters when it comes to protein after total protein quantity for the day, after you figured out like, all right, I'm going to eat 1.2 grams per kilogram per day is your feeding frequency. And why feeding frequency matters is because what the data shows on protein feeding frequency is that when you eat protein and when you work out, that increases muscle protein synthesis. So that increases your body's ability to take the food that you eat and turn it into muscle. So if we want to we want to keep that elevated because that's going to help us to maintain lean mass throughout the process of our weight loss journey or our fat loss journey. What the research shows is anywhere, we don't really know exactly, but anywhere from three to five protein feeding frequencies throughout the day is what's going to be optimal for continuously elevating or keeping your muscle protein synthesis elevated steadily throughout the day. And that's going to be important because you want to be in a state where you are, your protein turnover is in a balanced ratio. So what I mean by that is you're always, your body is always breaking down protein and breaking down muscle and then rebuilding new muscle tissue. And what you want to maintain is with keeping that muscle protein synthesis elevated is you want to have a uh, kind of a lower turnover. So you want more protein being built than you do being broken down. Yep. And in order to do that, you need to have an adequate amount of protein And you need to have adequate protein feeding frequencies. And the third piece that you need for that is you need a stimulus because without a stimulus, you're not building muscle. So that stimulus is 
that third piece, which is your activity. We want to be doing some resistance training. Otherwise, you're not creating a stimulus that's going to warrant building muscle. Right. Remember, we said muscle protein synthesis is elevated both when you're eating protein and when you're lifting weights or when you're working out. Really, when you're lifting weights, I don't think like when you're running a marathon, but <laughs> that's the, the next piece. But before I get before we get into, Nicole, the activity piece. I want to dive into the rest of the macronutrients because I think it's important to shed some light mm -hmm. on those. Do you want to get into those? I feel like I've been rambling off. Well, eat them. <laughs> all right. That covers it all, right? <laughs> all right. <No. laughs> so a balance of both. A balance of them. Fast. So it's the protein that you eat is going to make up a portion of your macronut of of your calories. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And your the rest of your macronutrients or the rest of your calories are going to be built from carbs and fat. Really, it doesn't matter. Like we said earlier, any kind of dietary ratio of carbs versus fat right. or protein, it doesn't really matter. You're going to lose the same amount of body fat, give or take like 0.1 or 0.2, right? I think there's some research that would suggest that a lower fat approach is a tiny bit like negligibly more optimal for fat loss. You kind of have to, yeah, you kind of have to choose. And, and if you guys know me and you've heard me talk about this, my strategies always start people off at 40, 30, 30, and then branch off from mm -hmm. there. So 40% right. carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat. And it's interesting, Nicole, that when I tell people like, oh, well, 40% of your carbs at 1500 calories is 150 grams of carbs a day. I get like, oh, that's a lot of carbs. And here's what drives me nuts with this is that people are so used to this. I have to eat low carb and they're so mm -hmm. carb phobic that 150 yeah. grams of carbs for a female a at 1500 calories is a lot. And it drives me nuts because let me just put some perspective on this. 150 grams of carbs. The average brain uses 130 grams of carbs per day. So that means that you're only leaving 20 grams of carbs for the rest of your daily activities that don't really involve your brain. Although I think really every activity that well, you they do, do but involves your brain, but you're leaving 20 grams of carbs for your workouts. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. There's this thought that, well, I need to eat low carb. And this is where I want to really drive this home. You just need to be in a calorie deficit. And you can eat a moderate amount of carbs and a moderate amount of carbs. Like to me, I've given people 250 grams of carbs and they've lost body yeah. fat. A moderate yeah. amount of carbs is really dependent on the individual and how much fuel they need and what their workouts look like. But right. if you're working out pretty intensely, and this is what I see oftentimes, especially with the ladies that come to mm -hmm. us five, six days a week, five, six days a week. You're basically running a marathon. You're on a treadmill constantly. Like your body needs some carbohydrates and it needs more than you're feeding it. 50 grams isn't enough. 80 grams isn't enough. 130 we said is only going to really, your brain is a glucose hog. So your brain is going to use that and soak it up. And then what's left for the rest of your body, your central nervous system. If you're doing resistance training and you're doing things like squats and deadlifts, guess what? Your brain and your central nervous system function off of glucose. So you're going to need more carbs. Yeah. It goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning is we're backwards in our approach. We think take, take things away in order for things to function better. 
instead of eating quality in terms of the amount, I shouldn't say quality, but the amount itself so that you are actually building up. It's so backwards. And it's so hard to explain that to clients sometimes that if you're exercising five days a week, no matter what you're doing, five, six days a week, you need more fuel in terms of the type of your macronutrient breakdown. You may not necessarily need more of it in a calorie component, but you actually need more fuel. So the ratio of those macronutrients may need to be slightly different. And then we get into Nicole activity. So like we talked about, this is the energy. This is part of the energy out part of the equation. That's resistance training. Uh, resistance training yeah. is, is king. Like we talked about before with the protein, uh, resistance training is going to be important for creating that stimulus to maintain lean body mass, elevate your uh, resting metabolic rate. And the interesting thing is if what we know about um, post-exercise oxygen consumption mm -hmm. is that you do burn more calories running than you do doing weightlifting. However, you burn for a longer period of time post-exercise when you're doing weightlifting versus mm -hmm. when you're doing a cardio workout. So if you're doing cardio, you're going to burn more calories in, let, let's say, the hour of running on the treadmill. But then when you're done, you're going to stop burning calories versus when you're doing resistance training, you're elevating your uh, metabolic rate for a longer period of time. Now, kind of a I don't know if I'll call it like an exclusion to this, but there's, there is like kind of a caveat to this where if you're somebody who's not trained and doesn't have much experience with resistance training, that energy burn or calorie burn post-workout from resistance training is going to last you a lot longer than it would somebody who's a trained individual, right? Just because you recover faster, right? It's yeah. all about the rate of recovery. You don't really need to recover. There's not all that much recovery or that much damage being done when you're running right? You're breathing heavy, you're consuming mm -hmm. more oxygen. Um, but we kind of, we measure this in research by how much oxygen you're consuming. Like you're consuming more oxygen for a longer period of time when you're doing resistance training. And then we see, I say, okay, well, how long does it take you to get back to baseline? Yeah. And for trained individuals, you get back to baseline a lot quicker than people who are brand new to this. That so what I, so what I will say is if you're listening to this and you're brand new to weightlifting, Take advantage of that because yeah. you'll be able to, you know, kind of capitalize on that post-exercise oxygen consumption by doing more frequent resistance training throughout a period of, you know, however many months it takes for you to be uh, a more of a trained individual that recovers faster. Yeah. Well, that's why we say newbies have all of those benefits at the beginning because it's the first time their body's going through that type of experience than someone that's been doing it for a while and their body is used to that type of level of intensity. Yeah. That's like the constant, like, okay, well, why do you lose weight? And I have a couple of people in my roster now that are like new, mm -hmm. new clients that, you know, why do they lose weight so quickly? You know, yeah. I have somebody who just lost 20 pounds in three weeks and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Um, he is a on the heavier side mm -hmm. and B He's new to this. He hasn't exercised. I wouldn't say new, new, like he used to exercise a long time and ago stopped. Yeah, and then stopped. But now his body sees it as new because it's been so many years. Yeah. And I always say to clients too, your body wants to be healthy. It is always going to go with you in the direction of health and wellness. If you are doing things in a way that will enhance its performance brain function, gut health, et cetera, all those things. So it's, it's not going to fight you against that if you're doing it in a way that's 
um, going to benefit your body to be better. And then Nicole, we have another part of your energy out, which is your NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And you know what, as of lately, and mm -hmm. you probably heard me on this podcast talking about uh, walking and taking steps as your NEAT, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of starting to shift to, I really think that getting your steps in is still part of your eat. Listen, you can, you can put it wherever you want. It Everybody that knows yeah. me knows if you're my client or we've had a conversation about anything, nutrition and health, I am a huge pusher of movement, call it whatever you want, but you have to move more. You got to focus on getting your steps in. And I think here's the thing with getting your steps in and moving is the more you focus on your steps, the more you're going to keep your resting metabolic rate elevated. The human body was meant to move. And yeah. we see that we get better results when we move often and frequently and a lot. Why this is important in a calorie deficit. One of the major reasons that we kind of see the importance of your NEAT and really thinking about it or just your activity in general is we find in the research that people tend to move less either subconsciously or consciously mm -hmm. when they're in a calorie deficit. And that is their body's way of trying to Conserving. preserve, conserve energy. If you have a certain body fat level, your body wants to stay there. Your body does not want to not be there because okay, well, I have this excess energy and I can use it in case of an emergency. The issue is that we don't really have emergencies these days where we have famine and we don't have food availability. So, you know, we it's okay. We can kind of scale back and not have as much body fat. That's fine. Plus, I don't really know if, you know, our ancestors really had as much body fat as people do today, but either consciously or subconsciously, you just move less. Maybe you feel a little bit lazier and you're conscious about it, right? Or maybe you fidget less and you just, you tap the table or you tap your foot less, right? And those are things that you do. You're just somebody who fidgets often. Your body just all of a sudden will naturally, without you even noticing it, will kind of subconsciously just decrease expenditure mm -hmm. through your neat, your non-exercise activity by just kind of scaling back on little subtle movements. And that might seem like very little, but that adds up, like we said, in the macro throughout the week. Mm -hmm. So it's important to note that you have to focus on not, not just your workout and the resistance training that you're doing, but also to focus on your movement throughout the day and make sure that you're moving frequently. And for me and Nicole, I know you would agree with this. Tracking your steps is one way to make sure that you're consistently getting X amount of movement. You can quantify your movement for the day and say, okay, well, I got 15,000 steps a day in, and that's a hard number. And you know that you're there versus just kind of loosely, you know, throwing around like, oh, I'm just going to move around a little bit more. Every client that I have had from um, working from home for during COVID times that is sitting down and not like getting up and going to their colleague's office to chat about something or going out to lunch during the workday or walking up and down the hall for the copy machine or whatever it may be. You know, when you're in an office or even us in the gym, we weren't doing meetings in person. So we were sitting down on a Zoom call in the gym with all of the, you know, trainers. Those things throughout the day add up. All these clients of mine that have come in that are now back to work and that are moving around more are feeling much better. Like forget all the other stuff, which of course is important, but they actually feel better. They're actually getting up and moving around and add on the, just the component of 
um, walking up and down the stairs to the garage and getting in and out of their car. All those little things throughout the day that add up in terms of steps and movement are, are all a huge part of quote unquote, being active and having movement throughout the day. So, so important. So important. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then <laughs> I, I think the last piece and Nicole, you touched up on this as you always do. The last piece that I think really matters when it comes to fat loss is that quality matters. Now, I will say, can you lose fat without quality? Yes, absolutely. There was a study that was uh, referred to when I was an undergrad of a researcher that wanted to see if he can lose weight eating basically nothing but candy bars. He was successful in doing so. And I know that Jordan Syatt did his kind of experiment on social media where he said, I'm going to eat a Big Mac a day. Mm-hmm. and I am going to lose body fat. And can you lose body fat eating shitty food? Yes, absolutely. But A, it's not going to be entirely sustainable. B, you're not focusing on the health component. So what mm-hmm. are you doing to your body long term? Which, you know, there's kind of some gray area there because if you're not in a calorie surplus, like calorie surplus is, is shown to be like when when carbs are bad, for example, or when excess fructose is bad, when we talk about like sugar intake, right? When excess fructose is bad, it's shown to be that it's it's really bad in in, the, in when you're doing when you're in a calorie surplus. So it's calorie mm-hmm. surplus coupled with excessive sugar intake yeah. is going to lead to some of the issues with associated with like metabolic syndrome, right? Cardiovascular mm-hmm. risk, uh, inflammation in the body It's going to lead to uh, potentially type two diabetes or uh, insulin resistance, right? Like hypertension, all these things, right, is coupled with a calorie surplus. So what does that tell us that, like we said before, even from a health standpoint, not just a fat loss standpoint, mm-hmm. the calorie is the, the calories are king. That's the one thing that is the absolute that matters the most, right? So if you're over consuming calories, in addition to over consuming shitty food, that's going to be the most detrimental for you. And we know that people don't know how much they're eating. Like this is part of the reason why the calorie deficit concept is, is so hard for people to, to grasp. They still eat even good quality food. You can overeat, right? It may not have the same type of effect on your health that a surplus with shitty food will, will do, but it's still a surplus, which will prevent you from, you know, dropping body fat. But the goal is, you know, it's, it's like everything else, all the stars have to kind of line up for everything to happen. um, within your body. I always talk about calories and then we talk about quality because if you're eating good quality, it kind of fixes the calories as well, because you're not eating a $400, $400. You're not eating a 400 calorie donut. (laughs) A 400. That's going to be expensive. expensive. That better be a good donut. That donut Um, (laughs) better cure cancer. (laughs) Um, a 400 calorie donut and a, you know, a 400 calorie meal of chicken and broccoli, which is a lot harder to eat, you know, so there's a balance to everything. Well, that's the other piece to it, Nicole, is that that donut's also not going to fill you up and you're going to be likely to crave more food. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the quality matters, right? From a hunger and satiety standpoint, I always say protein, fiber, and water. Those are the three things that are going to fill you up. Now, I will kind of say, okay, so fiber, what do we want for fiber? Well, we want 14 grams for every thousand calories that you're eating for our fiber category. Where are you going to get fiber from? You're going to get it from uh, your whole grains and your vegetables, which interestingly enough, people think that they get it more from vegetables, but they actually get it more from whole grains. So if you're eating white bread and 
white rice and things like that, you, you might have be better off like having things like oats, quinoa, brown rice, like things that are going to be higher in fiber where you're eating that outer layer. Protein, obviously, we talked about in terms of satiety. It, it increases satiety more than any other macronutrient and the benefits span obviously beyond that. And water is going to help to keep you satiated. I mean, how many times have you drank water either before or during a meal and you can you found that you can eat a smaller meal so you don't have to eat calories in excess if you're staying hydrated and oftentimes there's actually research to support this as well that people often mistake hunger hunger for thirst Mm -hmm. so just make sure overall and the the general recommendation is half your body weight in ounces per day again if you're on the heavier side more body fat let's say 40 percent body fat you might want to just scale that down a little bit that's going to matter. And then feeding frequency obviously falls into the hunger, hunger category, but feeding frequency is an interesting one because what we find is that your body adapts to the cues that you're giving it. So if you're, and this is what I say when clients are, let's say eating one or two meals a day. And I'm like, cool, I want you to have three to four meals a day. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I can't because I'm not hungry. And I'm like, all right, force it. I'm like, force it in. Yeah. Force it in for a little bit. Because what the data supports is that your hunger cues are elevated based on the times of day that you're eating. So if you start to, and this is where it's going to be important in terms of consistency and creating a schedule for yourself. If you start to feed yourself, let's say every morning you wake up, you feed yourself at 7 a.m. And then you feed yourself at 12 p.m. And then you feed yourself at 3 p.m. And then you feed yourself again at like 8 p.m. Just throwing out random times. After a while of you doing that, your body's going to start cueing you to eat and be hungry at those time intervals. So if you're eating three meals a day, your body's going to start to cue you to be hungry three times a day. If you're eating four meals a day or five meals and so on and so forth, it's going to do the same thing. So you kind of determine where your hunger cues are going to lie. And this is where I also think that if somebody's doing intermittent fasting, they're generally not hungry because I think that they're kind of mitigating that whole process and they're uh, controlling their own cues. So you might be hungry starting intermittent fasting initially, but after a while, your body's just going to feel satiated until it's that time to eat again. Or you might just feel satiated altogether. There are some satiating effects to that, but I'm kind of going off a little bit. I do want to highlight that nutrient density is going to be important in the foods that you're eating you want adequate vitamins and minerals to ensure that your body is working properly. There are so many minerals and vitamins involved in metabolism, and you Mm -hmm. want that to run optimally because you want this to go as smooth as possible. Yeah. And hormone balance for females. Yeah, absolutely. Even males, right? Like zinc is important. If you're deficient in zinc, you're likely going to have lower Mm -hmm. testosterone levels, right? So especially for males that are over like 40 plus, Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where like supplements like zinc and magnesium come in for males that are like 40 plus Uh, it's your zinc levels tend to typically not always, but typically tend to deplete as you hit a certain age. And I know for women too, for hormones, zinc is also Mm -hmm. important. I always have believed and will probably forever believe that food truly dictates how our body functions. I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it can fix everything, but it can fix most of the things. Like, well, I, if listen. you really want to be the detective in terms of your body, this is where I always tell clients, try it. Like whatever it is that you 
are wanting to do, eat more vegetables, eat more protein. And they're always like, Nicole, what will it do? I'm like, these are the things that we know it will do, but you have to do it. You have to try it and stick to it and see how your body responds. You will get these positive adaptations that I can promise you. We know the, the science behind how the body functions. A, B, C, and D will happen, but how quickly it happens for your body and how adaptive you become and what your hunger levels are. All those things are dependent on the person and you have to try it. Like stop being afraid of making changes to your food plan. If that's anything you hear from me today, that would be my number one. You've got to get in there and get your hands dirty and try things out and see what it does in order to know if it's the best option for you. Nicole, to your point that you brought up, it's, you know, it makes me think to Hippocrates and, you know, what he said is let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food because these the foods that we eat, the nutrients, they're creating just like any drug. And I say this all the time, right? The foods and the ratios that you're eating them, if you were to take, I don't know, too much insulin because you're diabetic, right? And one day you take too much insulin, that's going to have a negative impact on you, right? Or if you're yeah. driving too much insulin into the, into the receptors, right? This is like kind of an extreme example, but if you're driving too much insulin into an insulin receptor, because you're taking too much for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to downregulate your insulin receptors. Now, if you eat in a calorie surplus, too many carbohydrates, right? You're going to have that same effect. You're going to have too much insulin and that's going to downregulate your receptors. So maybe not as drastic as some of the medications that we've developed, but you know, Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food because the same things that are getting you sick are the same things. And this is kind of off topic, but same things that are getting you sick are the same things that you're putting in your body each and every day. So the solution is food, right? Yeah. And, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, in conventional medicine, we focus so much on the drug piece, but yet when you take, when you graduate med school, you have to take a Hippocratic oath, right? From Hippocrates, right? So why are you not... He's a man, honestly, that when I look at some of the quotes and some of the things that he said, he was way before his time. Mm -hmm. And we're still today not even caught up to, you know, some of the the way that he used to think back then. So I just think it's interesting because you brought that up. And yeah, well, if you think about you bring up medication, OK, how many I can. Oh, man, the amount of clients that I sit down with and I ask during a, an intake what are the medications that you're taking? And they give me this laundry list and I say, okay, do you know what some of the side effects are for some of these medications that you're taking? No. They okay, don't even but, know the names of the medications that they're taking or what they do. Well, okay. So this is my point. The side effects of some of the meds that you're taking, and, and I'm not against medications, like don't everybody get all your panties in a bunch. I'm just making a point that people take medications without understanding what it does to their body or the side effects of it, but they won't eat more carbs and try and see what that does for their body and the benefits it can provide to them and or, you know, the things they may need to change in terms of ratios of macronutrients. Like I'm pulling teeth, getting women to change what they eat, but they go to the doctors and they'll put anything in their body for anything to change. You know, they want to cure acne. They'll take this medication that does horrible things to their body, but they won't drink enough water you and know they won't more protein and you know, they won't eat more vegetables to do the exact same thing. It's interesting you say that. And I, I don't think this is anything I could do anything about, but you know, I find that as I get older, my hair is like thinning a little bit more. <laughs> and somebody had mentioned to me the Stop other putting day, it in a bun. I forget who it was. No, I was having a conversation <laughs> with somebody and she goes, well, why don't you just take Propecia? I'm like Propecia. That has some side effects though, right? So Propecia does have side effects. 
And Propecia is uh, it's the name of Propecia is uh, Finisteride. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I've seen I've, I've read the side yeah. effects of that. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm like, so one of the major side effects of Propecia is painful ejaculations. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I no, think thank you. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather be bald. have no hair. I would rather have no hair. Well, so, let me tell you this from a female standpoint. I'd rather you be bald than be screaming in pain. Every time you ejaculate. Ah! <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it on that note. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was fat loss in a nutshell. It's uh, it's simple. It's there's there are no secrets to this, right? You need to be in a calorie deficit. Protein is matters. It's super, super important. Anywhere from 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram of body weight or a gram per pound, however you want to look at it. I don't think that a gram per pound is going to have any kind of negative consequences for you uh, unless you already have some pre-existing kidney issues. The uh, activity is obviously going to be important. That's the energy out part of the equation. Focus on your non-exercise activity as well as your exercise activity. I do want to emphasize, which I forgot to emphasize, the intensity of your workout is important and progressive overload is important. So over periods of time, either you're doing more reps at the same weight or you're doing higher weight at the same at lower reps. You just have to find a way to progress in your workouts. You can't be doing the same stuff over and over again. And then quality of foods matter as well. And I'm going to leave you there. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 